Proverbs chapter 11. This is like our 27th week in the book of Proverbs. And so I think this is going to turn into a longer study than I, I thought, but then that's kind of the way it goes. Um, and it's very interesting as we approach the verses that we're in this morning, coming out of chapter 10. Chapter 10 talked a lot about, if you remember, even the way chapter 10 ended, that the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Y'all remember that, right? In chapter 10, verse 32. We talked a lot in chapter 10 about our words and our tongue and how we use our words in the midst of one another. Chapter 11 is going to hit on that again. And, and I would actually have to say that the book of Proverbs is kind of sharp as we handle it, you know, and so you can get some cuts and scrapes as we go through this. Um, that's what the word does. But as we now turn, we're going to look at the first six verses of uh, chapter 11, maybe a few more today, and we'll, we'll move as fast as we can. But as we look at them, there are kind of two things that we see in this chapter, the first six verses that we need to consider. Let's read it first. If you're there, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, please say amen. amen. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes shame. But when the humble, with the humble, is wisdom. The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord, for your word that you've led us to, Lord. We thank you for the, the fruit in advance, for the fruit that it would produce in our lives. We ask that you would remove all of the cares of this life and the burdens of this world from our hearts and our minds, that you would remove even the distractions from this room, Lord, that we would hear what you would have to say by your spirit, that you would do the necessary things in the midst of us, whether it's the rebuke or the correction, whether it's the comfort or the encouragement, all things that are needful, Lord, for us to be conformed to your image and to glorify you in this life. We ask that you would do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In these six verses, we kind of see two things, two things that are extremely important. And I think that the times we live in, they are needful. In fact, I kind of thought about this and I thought about some of the armor over in Ephesians 6 as I read these six verses. And there are two of them I wanted to mention. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, you probably know these verses by heart, so you don't need to turn there. I'm going to read them. But he says in Ephesians 6 verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand he says stand therefore having you girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and I love those verses he said there's an evil day there's an evil day because there's an evil one how many of you would agree and that he is there's always a battle because we have an enemy in the times we live in, Paul says in another place in that same chapter that we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Well, the days are evil again because we have an evil one and our flesh is weak and he's constantly trying to trip us up. These two armors that Paul mentions before he even gets into that armor very heavily is a belt of truth 
and a breastplate of righteousness. Y'all call it that, right? And I think that's so wonderful, the belt of truth. And, you know, forget the Roman soldier for a minute. I just like looking at the normal modern police officer. I don't know why I'm always intrigued by their belt. It's got all these little things for gadgets. Y'all ever see those things? I mean, looking at the police officer, I know they'd be like, my, you know, watching me because I'm watching them. But what's all that stuff on the belt? I mean, they got, they got the place to fasten the, 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 the handcuffs. Then they got like a little leather, little case for the pepper spray. Then they got, a, they got another one for the flashlight. And they're going around all this stuff. I'm intrigued by all this stuff on the belt. And then their breastplate is literally a bulletproof vest. And I like them. They kind of look cool today. So I, I watch all those things, and I'm looking at it, man. I'm intrigued by that. But those are basic foundational things just for their protection. They wear the thing around all day long. Before you get into a, a, a helmet or a stick or a gun, it's this belt and this bulletproof vest. And as I look at chapter uh, 11 of Proverbs, these first six verses, I can see these things kind of weigh out as we look at truth in the first three verses and then we look at righteousness in the second three verses. And what we find as we begin to look at them is that they're all too important, listen, all too important for our protection and deliverance as we live this life in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, verses one through three, we see honesty and humility and the simplicity of the truth of God because our lives are rooted in the truth of the Bible. Amen? And it's that truth that we live by and it should permeate in every aspect of our lives. And so let's dive right in. Verse one says, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And you all all get the gist of what that means. But it comes back to this thing of honesty and honesty being so important. Look, weights in the times that Solomon would write right up through the times of the Gospels, the most primitive weight would simply be a pole of an exact length. And that pole would have a pan tied equal distance from the center on both sides so that it would balance itself out. And then there would be some type of stone or metal plate that they would use on one side that was already, if you will, weighed out or uh, molded to a standard weight system that would be in place so that you could measure within commerce or banking and keep business straight. Does that make sense? Y'all know that. You've seen this stuff on the movies. So on one side, let's say somebody's buying a, a pound of wheat or grain. And so they would have a, a metal or stone uh, a weight on one side that would be equal to a pound so that on the other side they could take the bag of grain and add and subtract until they would get it equal and balanced so you have your pound of wheat. They would even do that within the um, coinage before the, there was minting where they would measure out the coinage, the metal, the silver to make sure that it was exactly right so that you couldn't be cheated. Does that make sense? We understand all of those things. And to some degree, they still do that today. Uh, when you go to the gas tank, there is, and even the, the United States of America, we have standard measurements and weight systems that people must operate by for certain commodities and things of that sort in America. So when you're at the gas pump, you're pumping your gas, and you're hoping this thing has been calibrated so that it's accurately measuring out your gallons as you go. Even when we go to the grocery store, I am always um, alarmed by the fact that when I'm in the produce section buying my produce, the little scale, the line never sits on zero. 
I'm like, it hasn't been calibrated. I'm like, man, this thing is off. And what you're going to do? You know, you go to Walmart, this thing is never on zero. Then by the time you get up to the digital one, you have no recourse. You don't know whether it's accurate or not. That thing can be off a tenth. So then every 10 customers, they make an extra dollar. And nobody would know. I'd be wanting to get with the manager. So one of these days, I'm going to get an exact weight, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to put it on their thing, and I'm going to say, hey, this is off. It's not calibrated right. Call the manager. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff I want to do if I ever have time. Like, when I retire, I'm going to be the old guy that gets on everybody's nerves. Because I'm just going to go around, and I'm going to mess with people about stuff. Your scale's off, man. Get the thing right. I heard a story about a baker who was upset because he felt like he was being cheated by the farmer when he would go and buy his wheat from him. And so he took the magistrate, they went out to visit the farmer, and he said they, they accused him of having scales that were off because he never felt like he was getting a complete pound of wheat when he would go to buy it. And so the magistrate said, well, what weight are you using for your scale? And he said, well, I'm using a, a pound of bread that I get from the baker each time to, as my weight for the, uh, for the scale. So some of y'all caught that. <laughs> but it works out in these things where, listen, dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. I think the issue is, listen, the issue is that God would have us operating in a very honest way. Now, here's the thing, and I don't have time to get all the way into this, but it says it's an abomination to the Lord. When I read through Scripture, one of the things that catches my eye in the book of Proverbs is these words that God hates something or something is an abomination to him. That bothers me because if he hates something, then I'm, I'm alarmed because I don't want to be involved in anything that the Lord may hate. Y'all know this, right? There's certain things. God hates a proud look, Proverbs chapter 6. God hates one who sows discord amongst the brethren, Proverbs chapter 6. Yea, six things are an uh, six things the Lord hates, yet seven are a what? Abomination to the Lord. Well, we got an issue now. An abomination means that it's something that is disgusting to the Lord. It's like, whoa, this is rough. He hates it. It's disgusting to him. New Testament, Jesus hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, those who would lord over and try to control the body of believers that belong to the Lord. God hates that. Jesus doesn't like the, uh, lukewarmness. It, it's, it's, it, he vomits it out of his mouth. These things are a problem for me. God doesn't like it. Hey, the Bible says that, listen, a man who would lie with another man as he would with the woman, that is an abomination to the Lord. So what that means is that is a disgusting thing to him. Now, he desires to save anyone who is in that out, but that means the LGBTQ agenda is a disgusting thing to the Lord. I'm just saying, I'm using these as examples of things you already know, okay? And it's easy for us to identify those things as we look at scriptures like, yeah, that's, that's horrible. God doesn't want that. But wait a minute. He simply says here, dishonest scales, they are an abomination to the Lord. So dishonesty, deceit, and dealing with one another that's something that disgusts the Lord. He can't stand it. Uh-oh. What are we talking about? Well, definitely, yes, we're talking about business, and we're talking to the body of believers. So let's stick with that, because when we go out into the world, all the scales are skewed. Because human nature is we all want to get over. We all want to get a deal. We all want to get as much as we can for as little as we can. That's what it's all about. Buy low, sell high all the time, make a profit. That's how we operate. 
But for the body of believers, the Bible is saying, well, hold on. Dishonest scales, this disgusts the Lord. It's, it's an abomination to him. So we need to check ourselves. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is the Bible, the book of Proverbs is slapping us all in the face every Sunday morning. Because somewhere in your heart, there might be a dishonest scale. I think about businessmen all the time because it's very easy in business sometimes to cut corners when things are difficult. I can imagine a contractor building a wall. The owner's not home. And the contractor is saying to himself, man, it's hard to get wood. Everything is on back order and it's expensive. And even though I quoted the wall based upon 16 on center and all this kind of stuff, there's no electrical or plumbing going in. It's not a structural wall. It's not a load-bearing wall. And I don't have enough two-by-four to do 16 on center. It's going to take me a week to get that, but every 20, 25 inches I can do a stud and nobody's ever going to know because it's not a load-bearing wall. Hey, do the wall and cover the thing up and let's get out of here. I mean, that can happen easy. If you want a slab of concrete, well, I priced it out with a certain level of rebar, but that's on back order. Nobody's home. Pour the concrete, smooth the thing out, float the thing in. Let's get out of here. Y'all see where this is going, right? <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that can happen all the time without people even thinking about it. And we can get away with it and we can walk away saying, well, it's sturdy. It's going to be there forever. I did what I promised, but you, you may not have actually done what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord is always watching. And the Lord desires us at all times to do what we have agreed upon in an honest way. Not so much, well, it is for one another, but it's because God is watching those who belong to him in everything that we do. Isn't that something? So then that means that we have to be honest about it. If we're going to agree to it, we have to hold up to that which we've agreed upon so that we can always be dealing right with one another. And I think it's important that we think about that on every level. You can think about an employee for a moment because I don't think this is just for business, but it's, a, it's an employee thing as well. What do you mean? Well, look, you agree to 40 hours a week at a certain pay rate. And you expect to get paid, don't you? Check this math out. You show up five minutes late and leave five minutes early. Five minutes, nobody's noticing five minutes, right? Five minutes late, five minutes early every day. So that five minutes times 20 days in a month, you can do the math, um, times 12 months comes up to 2,400 minutes. 2,400 minutes divided by 60 minutes gives you 40 hours, you just stole a week. <laughs> Imagine that. A whole week times $20 is $800. You just stole $800 in the course of a year. Imagine that. We don't think about that, but when you do the math, man, that's horrible. You just ripped off your employer for $800. Five minutes late, five minutes leaving early, you know, here and there through the course of a year. Dishonest. And I think a lot of things that we do we don't necessarily intend to do it. It's just part of the human nature. And here's the problem. We get saved with all this getting over mentality, getting the hookup mentality, don't we? And it comes right into our Christianity, and we never check it until the Holy Spirit sheds light on it through his word. And we say, uh-oh, I am so wretched. Lord, you love me so much. I don't even know how you put up with me. That's the reality of it. I mean, you think about it. 
how many times and in how many ways are you ripping somebody off? And God is like, that's not the way I'm trying to, 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 to teach you to live. I want you to represent me and glorify me in every way. So now the word is saying, Proverbs 11:1 1 is saying, hey, examine yourself because the Lord is examining you. And let's get these dealings right, especially within the body of Christ, especially within the body of Christ. I think within the body of Christ, I know for me, we want to use Christian businesses as much as possible. I believe that when using a Christian business, we have to do this to the utmost because fellowship is now in jeopardy. It ain't even business anymore. It, once I hire a Christian business person, business is secondary now. Now I'm stepping into this sacred thing called the body of Christ. And see, the problem is sometimes with that is the scales are off as soon as two Christians begin to do business with each other. Because you got often business guys will call me up and say, Pastor Kevin, I'm doing this job for somebody in the body of Christ. And I can see that, you know, th things are a little tight for them and I want to be a blessing. Uh-oh. Now we're in some dangerous territory. And then because the problem is the Christian customer also wants to get the best deal. And they, because it's a Christian business person, they are almost expecting it. So we got this situation for the scales to just be all wobbly. And thing and trouble can happen. And the danger is we don't want to lose fellowship over that. So then what do I, I think we should do? My recommendation is have an agreement up front. And Christian business person, if you have a desire to be a blessing and you prayed about it with your spouse, if you're the owner of the business, you need to say, hey, here is my estimate itemized. And this is how much all of this is going to cost. And then at the end, but I've prayed and decided to discount it this much because this is what the Lord has led me to do. And then you're done with it. On the other side, here's the heart of the customer. If you hire a Christian, you should go in expecting to pay market rate. So you can be a blessing to your brother and the Lord. I'm giving it to the Christian because I want to bless the Christian business. But I ain't trying to rip them off. We argue here sometimes at the church when we hire somebody to do something. They want to bless us and we're like, no, we're paying the, we're paying the rate. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. No. You tell me what it's going to cost. And that's what we're writing the check for. And if you return the check, that's on you. If you put the check back in the black box, that's on you at that point. But we are never going to leave you thinking that we ripped you off because you are a brother. We can't operate like that. You get my point? It has to be on the up and up. And when it's on the up and up, there's safety. And you're free from any ridicule because you've operated in a way that's godly. So dishonest scales are an abomination. They are a disgusting thing to the Lord. However, a just weight, that's his delight. Y'all catch that? Man, I think that we need to really examine how we're doing things and how we're operating, whether it's your tax return or anything, especially in this environment where everybody works from home in their underwear, you know. <clears throat> And on Zoom with this shirt on top, you know, and everything, you know. I did a, a Zoom wedding last week with my top, with my jacket and my shirt and everything, and, and, and the jeans and sneakers on the bottom. I was like, man, this is cool. <laughs> but in everything that we're doing, what I'm trying to say is that we need to examine ourselves. The, the bottom line is where your heart is with the Lord. 
hey, I am a servant of the Lord. You are a servant of the Lord in everything that we do. So that's the, the first thing we see here. Because this truth, when we operate in truth, there is nothing that anyone can say at that point. I, I gave you an estimate itemized for a fair job. I performed that job. And that is what I've done for you and vice versa. So we see that. But notice the next part of this. Not only honesty is extremely important, but so is humility. Notice in verse 2, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Now, as I read that, it almost reads like pride is some external force that shows up every now and then. When pride comes, you know, you kind of get that when you read it. And, and I don't think that's necessarily what the writer is intending. It's not that pride just comes externally. Pride is already on the inside of our flesh. We know that, right? Pride is the first sin. Pride is the sin that Satan committed when it, was, when it came up in him and, and he, it was lifted up and he wanted to be like God and, and he got kicked out, of course, and he fell. We understand that. That's the first sin. But listen, pride is within all of us. There's always pride. You get a group of men, even Christian brothers, sitting down to discuss something. There's a whole lot of, not only testosterone, but pride in that room. That's a, that's a flammable situation that could just pop off at any moment. You know, and so pride is there. And it says, when pride comes, comes shame. In other words, listen, it, it, it implies this. When pride enters the situation, going unchecked. I want you to think about it like that. I've got pride. I know. Pastor Kevin, I have pride in me. That pride can be dangerous if it goes unchecked. So then part of me walking with the Lord and dealing with people is I've got to remember to check it every day, even before I interact with people, because if I don't check it, it's going to be a shameful thing if I let that thing loose and unchecked. And here's the situation. In most of our situations with one another, especially within the body of believers, when pride shows up that, that, that I deserve, that, that I'm somebody, that you don't tell me, and in and, and, and and as many ways as you can uh, allow it to be there, you know, you can think through it in many different aspects of our life, but when it shows up, it puts me on this defensive, selfish, self-seeking posture that displeases the Lord. And it's a shameful thing, but notice this, but with, wis but with, hum uh, with the humble, y'all notice this, look at the verse, with the humble is wisdom. My pride can prevent me from operating in the wisdom of the Lord. However, humility will allow me to operate within the wisdom of the Lord. When I humble myself before the Lord, I know that the Lord is with me because in my pride, he's resisting me according to the scripture. But in my humility, he's given me grace, according to the scripture. Y'all know this stuff, right? Y'all know this stuff, right? I'm quoting scripture, James chapter 4. This is what I just quoted. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So then in every situation, as I am honest, oh, I'm safe. And then when I humble myself, I am safe because I have the grace of God. And these are the things that allow me to operate in love and operate in truth. Same for you, right? Amen. And when we're doing these things, man, we're good. I mean, you can walk around with a bit of freedom when you operate this way because you've done that which pleases the Lord. And because you've done that which pleases the Lord, you can know that the Lord is with you and you can have good fellowship one with another. But you got to check these things. Not only that, verse 3. 
Y'all are quiet this morning. Verse 3, notice it says, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. These are interesting verses. The integrity of the upright will guide them. What does this mean and how does this work? Well, I noticed that the Hebrew word used here for integrity is only used five times in, the, in the, all of the Old Testament, this Hebrew word. It's actually Tomah, Strong's H8538, if you're taking notes. It's used four times in the book of Job, and then one other time, which is here in Proverbs 11.3. And so it's used only these, these uh, five times, but in the book of Job, it's used to describe something that Job had and held on to during the most difficult, one of the most difficult trials ever recorded in scripture that a man of God went through. And it's something that Job had the whole time. In fact, it's talked about throughout the book of Job. In fact, God comments on Job's integrity in one place in the book of Job. In fact, Job's wife admitted it in Job chapter 2, verse 9. Just listen. You can look it up in your own time. She said to him, um, it said, uh, then it says, then said his wife unto him, does thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. She said, you still holding on to whatever this thing is, this integrity? Something's wrong with you, Job. Clearly, God is not on your side. Look at what you're going through. Not only that, in Job 27, verse 5, Job said this, God forbid that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. Job says, I'm holding on to what I got. What in the world is going on? Job chapter 31, verse 6, Job said this, let me be weighed. Here we go back to the scales. Let me be weighed and an even balance that God may know my integrity. He said, let me be weighed, let me be searched, let me stand before God, he'll know my integrity. What is happening with all of this? Well, the root of this word integrity that's used throughout all of these scriptures is tom uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, 85, 37, if you're taking notes, and it simply means, listen, innocence, completeness, completeness and simplicity. Innocence, completeness, and simplicity. Um, first place of mention, Genesis chapter 20, verse 5. And you can look at this in your own time. I believe this was King Abimelech. Abraham said to Sarah, they're going to kill me because you're pretty, you're beautiful. Lie and tell them you're my sister. And she did it, listening to her crazy husband. <laughs> and God speaks to Abimelech in a dream. And he says, hey, this woman that you just took in your harem is this man's wife. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I, I love God. Ladies, I love this. I always love this verse because, you know, Sarah was being obedient to this knucklehead who almost got her in a bad situation. So God looking out says, hey, I'm going to kill you because of this woman. Abimelech says in the dream, he's saying, now Abimelech, a Gentile king, is talking to God in the dream. He says, did he not say she is my sister, Genesis 25? And she even herself said, he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands. I have done this. You're going to read it. God says, yes, I know. I've seen your integrity. I won't kill you. I just need you to get her out of your harem and back to her husband, basically, is the, is the gist of that. This innocence. In other words, when you're operating, check it out. When you're operating from a simple place, 
of innocence. You can say this, harmlessness. You're not out to hurt anybody. You're being honest. You're, you're, it's, it's very simple. You know, your intentions are not in a deceitful or harmful way. That level of integrity is a guidance in a sense, the Bible is saying back over in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. It's a guidance. Listen, the one who is honest is delightful to God. We see that here, okay? The one who is humble, oh man, this one is, is receiving the grace of God and, and able to operate in the grace of God. And, and look, the one who is simple and harmless in his dealings as he walks with God, this, this, this is the safety, this is this belt of truth, if you will, that we can operate in that provides a level of protection, keeping us under the hand and the grace of God and all of our, de our dealings. And when we operate that way, guess what? We're free. And we can hold our head up. And we can be right. We, look, we can go before the Lord and, and, and have a relationship with him. And there's nothing hindering that. But let me end it, finish the verse. Verse 3, it says, But the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. The wonderful thing about the people of God is we already know we're sinners saved by grace. Amen? It ain't like we came into this thing with any level of perfection that we're trying to hold on to. So we, we, we actually know that, wait, I can just humble myself before God and confess my sin before him, knowing that he will forgive and cleanse and wash and strengthen and give grace to those who do those things as they walk with him. It's a beautiful thing to begin to fathom. All right, let's look at the second part of this. The second part of this is verses 4 through 6. We kind of begin to see uh, more of a breastplate, if you will, of righteousness here as we look at it. Let's dive in. Verse 4, it says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but, the, but righteousness delivers from death. I love these verses. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. And in fact, they don't. I think over in Ezekiel chapter 7, it says that in the day when the wrath that Ezekiel was prophesying that was going to come against Judah finally arrived, they were throwing their silver and their gold and stuff in the streets like it was trash because it didn't matter at that point. You follow me? There's a day coming where wealth and riches and material things won't matter at all. That's what the Bible is saying. And that day is coming. That day is coming fast because the wealth of the world is owned by a fraction of 1% of humanity. Because they are crooked and they are part of this beast system that's been created and is way more organized already than we realize. And we don't have time to go into all of those things. So there's a day coming when all of that wealth that they have won't matter to them. They'll be hiding in caves, asking the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. <laughs> it's even funny to say the wrath of the lamb you ever seen a raffle lamb I mean you don't really run from a lamb when he's upset he's like okay <laughs> the other day something happened I opened my truck and all of a sudden this this dog went off barking and I never even flinched to turn around because you could hear the it was this one of those little bitty dogs you know <laughs> And sometimes I do that just to make them mad. It's like they can't get you to react to them. And that's what drives little dogs crazy because they're barking, but you don't respond. And so they, they, they feel like, you know, they're trying to be big, but they're not, you know. So the wrath of the lamb is going to take out the, if you will, the judgment's coming and all of that wealth won't matter to them then. So let's go back to the verse. So riches do not profit in the day of wrath. 
But notice what he says here. But righteousness delivers from death. The beautiful thing about this word delivers in the Hebrew. And I'm going to stop pronouncing these things because it doesn't matter anyway. You can look it up in your own time. If you use a Strong's Concordance, you can look this word up. It's H5337. It means to snatch away, to deliver, to rescue. Almost identical to the word deliver used by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1. 10 when he says that we are to look to heaven for the for, for God for his son who will come from heaven the Lord Jesus to deliver us from the wrath that is to come and there it actually means to rescue as well there's a biblical understanding throughout scripture uh, Old Testament throughout New Testament that God's character God's nature God's mode of operation is to deliver the righteous and rescue them from wrath that he pours out against the unrighteous that's biblical all the way through. That's why Jesus was able to tell the church of Philadelphia, hey, because you have kept uh, my commands, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which is coming upon the whole world to, to test those upon the, upon the earth. It was a trial that was coming, a wrath that was coming against the world. And he says, I'm going to rescue you from that because you have kept my word. You've been faithful. You are mine. Therefore, that wrath is not for you. And that seems to be consistent with Scripture. So it's very interesting that that the, the riches, listen, verse 4 again, the riches won't profit in the day of wrath, but the righteous will be rescued, snatched out, delivered. That's the picture that we get in this verse. Pastor Kevin, how can you come up with a pre-tribulation rapture message out of Proverbs 11.4? I don't know. I just see it all the way through the scripture. It seems to be there. But let's go back to the verse. Notice he says here, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness, righteousness delivers. It's very interesting, this word righteousness, I love, because the, first, the, the place of first mention for this one is found in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. I want to read it to you. It's a conversation that God was having with Abraham. Just listen for a second. Verses 1 through 6, I don't have it on the screen. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, before his name was recognized as being Abraham, in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, I understand what you're saying. I'm, 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 let me read it first. Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Why did Abram say that? Well, because God had already told him, look, Abram, can you count the stars? Can you count? Hey, I am going to make your offspring so numerous that they can't even be counted. And the earth will be blessed by your seed, your offspring. And I will bless those that bless and curse those that curse. And Abraham is saying, yeah, but I hear you. I understand that. And I left Ur of the Chaldeans and here I am, but I still don't have any offspring. You know, me and Sarah, 100 years old, what, what, what do you mean? And so he, God goes on to say to him, Abraham says in, in verse 3, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir, meaning his servants, because he had a bunch of servants. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Abraham's like, man, how on earth is this going to happen? You know, verse 5, then he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, you shall, excuse me, said to him, you shall, so shall, excuse me, your descendants be. And this is what verse 6 says. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, 
And he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. I love that. In other words, the Old Testament scripture is saying that Abraham believed God's promise of deliverance through the seed that would come through his numerous offspring. All of these conversations he's had with God and Abraham simply believes him still, even though it looks impossible. He's too old. He can't have kids, yet he believes what God is saying. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Accounted is a term used to describe a financial transaction to reconcile books. In the New Testament, Romans chapter 4, Paul talking about this exact same scenario. Paul uses this Greek word that we've translated to impute or imputed. Um, it, it means to reckon, to count, uh, to compute, to calculate, to reconcile. In other words, to take an account of. So the, the scripture is saying at the place of first mention, and then we see it hinted to throughout scripture that it's this belief, this faith in God's word and promise that then is a, a, it causes us to, to receive the righteousness of God. Literally, God adjusts his books when we believe his word. Like our faith, our belief in God's word and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ causes God to reconcile our account by imputing righteousness to it because we are in debt to sin or because of sin. And he imputes righteousness and wipes out the debt and balances the books of our life. Now we're deemed righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. We get that, right? That's a beautiful picture because this is what's hinted towards here, in my opinion. Look, riches mean nothing. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. And this is true. It's because of our faith in Jesus Christ that we're deemed righteous. That righteousness has been imputed to our account. God said, as soon as you place faith in Jesus Christ, he said, hey, go ahead, son. Wire the trillion dollars of righteousness to wipe out the trillion dollars of debt and then add some more called grace on top of that to not only balance the book, but to give them what they need to live for you now until we go get them. <laughs> I love that. And, and so it's this righteousness that's been imputed to us that causes us to be the children of God that will literally deliver us from death. And this is the thing you got to get from that. Because of your, listen, because of your place in Christ, because your, book ha your name has been written in his book of life, there's a day coming where you will literally be delivered from death itself. Jesus says, those who believe in me, though they die, shall live. And those who live in me shall never die. John chapter 11. So my righteousness has already delivered me from death because I ain't looking forward to death. Death is not on, on my agenda. My body expires, but I don't die as hard. I always tell y'all, it's so difficult to deal with death because we watch people on this side, they seem to suffer because the body is going through its motions and dealing with this stuff and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, you read it, it, the people of hospice, they tell you that people are restless in those last few weeks, that things begin to shift and change because they are preparing to leave this thing. Okay? And when we get out of this thing, that's where living actually begins. Y'all with me? I know I sound like a broken record because every week we come across the same topic because it's woven throughout the scripture that we may have hope. So riches, 
don't profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. I love that. And so we have that the fact that righteousness delivers from death, but it also directs our daily path. Let's look at verse 5. And verse 5 says, the righteousness of the blameless, listen to this language, it's redundant. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. What in the world is, is the writer, what's Solomon getting at? Solomon, Solomon wrote these things, but he wasn't able to live them out, but he's writing by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author. We know that, right? So the righteousness, I would say the imputed righteousness of the blameless. Well, what is the blameless? Well, the King James uses the word perfect. Some of you are reading from the King James. The word is perfect. Uh, it means to be complete, to be whole, to be sound, to be entire. Um, first place of mention is Genesis chapter 9, speaking of, of uh, Noah, where the Bible says that Noah was perfect in his generation, speaking of the fact that Noah was not tainted with the genetic manipulation that Satan was doing uh, with the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, creating a corrupt seed of humanity, all to prevent the virgin birth from happening, that Jesus, um, that God had prophesied about Jesus back in Genesis, the seed of the woman, remember? And so we tie all of that together, we understand what was going on. Noah wasn't tainted with that, so God says he was perfect in his generations. We know Noah was not without sin. So it doesn't mean that. It means that he was not flawed, if you will. But then when we leave that first place of mention and we travel this word uh, with this word throughout the Old Testament, it's most often simply speaking of the way that the sacrifice would have to be. The sacrifice would have to be perfect, meaning without spot and without blemish. Y'all remember that, right? So whenever you would bring a sacrifice to the tabernacle to, to sacrifice, the priest would inspect it, and it had to be perfect. All of this is pointing ahead to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. We understand that because Jesus Christ would be perfect. He would be 100% human with no tainted seed, and he would be 100% God, and he would live a life with no sin. Therefore, he would have no spot and no blemish, and he would be able to be the final Passover lamb that would be the lamb of God that would wipe out, if you will, or take away the sin of all who had placed their faith in him. And so this is what it means to be blameless. This is so beautiful. So he says the imputed righteousness of those who are perfect because they are so again because of faith in Jesus Christ. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I am, I've had righteousness imputed to my account and I'm considered blameless before a holy God not because of me myself, but because of what Jesus has done in me and what Jesus does in me on a daily basis. Y'all catch this stuff? The, 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 word is, the wording is so beautiful that the Holy Spirit has laid out here. The righteousness of the blameless, redundancy to beauty, the imputed righteousness of those of us who have been considered perfect before a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the Pastor Kevin's version. It says this, the righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright. And because of everything I just said, listen, my daily path is being directed aright by the presence of the Holy Spirit in me, illuminating the word of God to my spirit on a daily basis. Isn't that beautiful? This is what God is doing in us as we surrender to him, as we walk with him and we walk with his word. And I think more than we can realize, God is at work in our lives. I met a guy on the street the other day, and we began to talk, and he just said, sir, 
are you a pastor or something? They just said that, you know, yeah, he's an older gentleman. I always give respect to older gentlemen and older ladies because it's what we should do. And so we have this amazing conversation and we recognize, turns out he was a pastor as well. Uh, I won't name the church because it's not far. And we, we just standing there in the street drawn to each other for a moment of conversation because we're born of the same spirit. And God is at work in the lives of those who belong to him. And this is why the Bible says that we are those who bear the fragrance of Christ as we live our lives. This is beautiful. So righteousness is delivering us not only from death, but also directing our daily path. And we got to end now uh, in verse uh, 6, and we'll stop there. It says, the righteousness of the upright, more redundancy, will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. The righteousness of the upright, our righteousness given to us, number one, by Jesus, which is directing our daily path and delivering us on a daily basis, causing us to live righteously. Listen, that in itself delivers us. Now, here's the thing I I think about as a breastplate of righteousness. The more you surrender to the spirit of God that is in you and you yield to his leading you into living by the scriptures, you are, listen, safe from any work of the enemy in your life. He has no ability to destroy your life at that moment. And look, there are going to be difficult things that happen, but you are prepared. Why? Because of your righteousness. And look, I hate to say this, but we can live like superheroes to some degree. All the fallen angels that are walking this earth that want to destroy you have no ability to do so because you have been deemed righteous and perfect, blameless before a holy God, you're off limits. I like that. That means that I'm free from having to live in fear and worry about what might happen all the time. No, I just call upon the Lord. And I, I, look, I give everything to him. And I listen, I don't care what it is. When, we, when the elders met this morning, we're praying for all of you, your safety, your, 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 all of the things that you, you go through. By the way, I'm over time. I'm, I'm going to end. This just came to me. Look, I got to end here. Um, we're going to have to purge a lot of the prayer requests we've been receiving over the last few years we would love if you could write us and tell us any praise reports because we are praying and we care to hear those too. <laughs> so that's just a, a plug for that. If, if you've put a prayer request in and God has worked in that situation, please let us know about it so we can praise God with you. Okay. Because the hearts of the elders here at the church is to constantly, the elders and the overseers, by the way, are to constantly be praying for the things that concern the congregation here, but we got to stop and we'll pick it up next week in verse seven. Y'all doing all right? All right, bow your heads. Father, thank you for the richness of your word, Lord. I pray that we would have a healthy hunger for it, Lord God, and that we would not uh, in any way take it for granted, Lord, that we would live to absorb it, to feast upon it, Lord God, and to find out how to apply it in our life on a daily basis so that we can be changed and strengthened, uh, Lord God, and glorify you. We love you today. We thank you today with every head bowed and every eye closed. If there's anyone in the room today that does not know Jesus and for some reason you have not publicly acknowledged that you want to place your faith in Jesus to receive the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. If that's you, throw your hand up and wave right where you are with every head bowed and every eye closed so that I know I'm praying for someone. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. God bless you all.